Hello there guys, welcome back. Daniel Childs here for the Son of Chelsea podcast. Hope you're doing well and keeping safe wherever you are listening to this. It is Monday the 19th of December uh, when I'm recording this. You may be listening to this a little bit later. Um, but I felt it, it appropriate in this year of 2022, uh, getting closer by the day to 2023, to look back at Chelsea's year uh, personally and give a reflection of it because I've been writing some stuff for Football London and going month by month and just dissecting what has been probably and I try and steer clear of hyperbole with the stuff I say the most mental of my time and life supporting Chelsea that is a is a steep and um honorable award in the history of Chelsea because Chelsea are known for chaos and a lot of the time that chaos comes with success it comes with chaos that I think a lot of rival supporters or just supporters across the country in the world of football would would desire um but this year has been particularly mental um and I guess a unique vantage point for myself is that I've been you know covering and working as a writer as a presenter as someone who makes youtube videos who makes podcasts who've who has been on you know um shows with rival fans and has been asked to kind of break down what's going on with Chelsea and you know week from week to week it's changed and it's been kind of hard sometimes to kind of know where to where to go what to say and to kind of think about the club naturally 2022 and, and it's weird with football because we don't like as football fans I don't know maybe you're different it's kind of sometimes weird and against our nature to look at years as football fans as kind of the 12 month calendar year I know people do it and I'm doing it right now I'm contradicting myself but we naturally look at football from a club perspective in the nine month cycle which spans across two calendar years um you know it goes from August or July if you include pre-season to May and then maybe some years June and so to go from January to December um and to kind of look for all of that is is difficult because we are going across two seasons to two halves of seasons effectively um but I do think this is appropriate this year for Chelsea because it kind of for me feels like the first half of 2022 very much bled into the second half of 2022 when in a lot of years that first half can kind of be forgotten but I don't think it can this time because the events in the first half of this year were so seismic that they naturally impacted the second half of the year and will impact the history of Chelsea for many years to come um you know we started the year with the Lukaku interview uh which I have to say not only because the Ronaldo interview recently kind of came up and there was a nice contrast there at the time compared to the outrage of of that moment um, compared to what Lukaku said and then seeing what Ronaldo said and seeing the reaction to that it kind of felt a little bit tame to be honest um, at the time I wrote a piece and you can find it and, and I think I maybe said it on the channel I wasn't doing tons of videos at the time that I found the outrage silly I found the response a little bit weird and overblown um, I think Lukaku was stupid with what he did. I think that there is just a reality in football, in PR, in media, whether we like it or not, that there are times when you say things and there are times when you don't say things. And 
that's frustrating. It's not consistent. But with Lukaku, it was the case of it was that double blow of him going after Thomas Tuchel and and then also um, saying he loved Inter Milan. I still don't think it's breaking news that Lukaku... I, I, you know, maybe I say, maybe I'm just completely oblivious to this. Everyone knew that Lukaku liked Inter Milan, had a really good time at Inter Milan and... You know he enjoyed it, and and the only club that was going to pry him away from there was Chelsea, most likely, and that's what happened. Um, for him to say that, you know, I don't think was extraordinary. I, you know, are we expected for the rest of time now for players when they move clubs to never talk about previous clubs when they're being asked about them and and have affection? Are they just supposed to cut emotional ties? Maybe I'm being disingenuous with that, but. It created a very toxic environment. I am going to say that I felt stunned by some people online who, you know, have, have rallied against abuse of players very rightly, whether that's racist abuse, sexist abuse, or whatever it is in terms of football media landscape and, and the toxicity online. It seemed to me with, with Lukaku that the gates just opened for a few days. And we'd see something similar later in the year with Chelsea and Chelsea fans when the sanctions happened, uh, more directed at Chelsea fans when like the gates opened again and people just thought for a period of time, you could just write anything about Chelsea and Chelsea fans and you'd probably get away with it because people would, A, you were on the moral side to a lot of people and B, you'd probably get away with it and people forget that you ever wrote it in the first place. Some of us have longer memories than that, but... um, it felt to me like Lukaku that incident was just unsavory and it created instantly a toxic environment and and not a very nice one specifically against one player but I think it very much you know started to grow kind of the mood around Chelsea in 2022 even before the madness set in Um, and yeah from there I mean Lukaku was kind of done as a Chelsea player I mean in retrospect you can sort of say that interview post that there were a few high points but even when he scored you got the sense that some people were a little bit frustrated that he'd scored um, and didn't really want to celebrate because people had gone so far down the you know abuse or just like criticism you know it's fair to criticize absolutely you're in your right to do so that line with Lukaku that you know is a little bit embarrassing we see this so often like you know double down effectively on the situation so that was mental um, I think the best thing of that was Tuchel and I'd argue that for a lot of this year, the best thing will be Tuchel when we reflect on it and kind of the way more more Tuchel in public and press conferences than as a coach, in my opinion, I think is more what I'm taking positively from this year because I think there's a lot to criticise Tuchel in terms of the results going you know, wrong, the performances getting worse. Not all of that is in his own control, of course, but I, I think as a statesman, as we'd come to find out in the, the upcoming months, in the early months of 2022, he, he really thrived in that. And I think he gained so much more respect and support from Chelsea supporters for the way he handled the Lukaku situation and also the way you know, he dropped Lukaku. There was a good response against Liverpool in the first game of the year and just how I think politically he came out of that situation looking a, a more stronger individual. Um you know, it's easy, you know, it's easy now to dismiss that and say, well, he's not at the club anymore. But there was a radical thing that changed very quickly. Uh, you know, we reached the, the League Cup final. We became world champions at the start of February. And Roman Abramovich was on the pitch celebrating with that trophy, a rare appearance. And, you know, few of us knew then what was about to unravel, you know, in, in the coming literally weeks. 
um, to change everything. And and it's a shame because that Club World Cup was an historic moment in Chelsea history. It really was. It was an achievement that the club had never had before. There was a real sense of regret after 2012 when we lost to Corinthians, when that group of players with some iconic Chelsea players after um, we'd won in Munich couldn't get the job done. And it didn't, you know, winning or not winning the Club World Cup and the Super Cup does not uh, tarnish or impact winning a Champions League. I don't think those two things last season affected the emotion of winning the Champions League. That's what it is. It, it will always be that, the greatest night in Chelsea history. But uh, it was nice to have that and to finally close off a chapter which narratively, you know, neatly, it was the last thing that Chelsea needed to win it all to become world champions. And that's what we did. Um, and, you know, it started off the year and, and there was a there was a, a feeling that maybe we could win two trophies in a number of weeks, despite some of the problems. And it would felt very Chelsea to do so. But then that closing week of February on the eve of that League Cup final, the first statement that came out from Roman Abramovich, he was passing the stewardship and care to the trustees of the Chelsea uh, Foundation. And, of course, we start to have the, the war in Ukraine and the invasion from Russia. And that has its impact on Chelsea very naturally. And, you know, already that tone was being set that, you know, this wasn't just going to go away. And uh, a few days after that heartbreaking final against Liverpool, which I was at, it was absolutely freezing. Uh, I remember rightly, I'm, I'm just... I, 2020 is one of my lessons from 2022 is I, is I absolutely detest going to Wembley. And it's not just the fact that Chelsea... Okay, it is the fact that Chelsea lost to Liverpool twice and I was there both times and I felt like I was experiencing Groundhog Day. But I just don't like the experience of Wembley. I just think I, for years I never understood it and that was mainly because I was going... Okay, again, hypocrite. Mainly because I was going to finals where Chelsea won. But maybe as I've got a little bit older, I've, I've kind of... I understand why people have ma major problems with Wembley. It's the ticket prices. Um, it's the just the the travel there is just even if you live in london the travel there is, is a bit of a nightmare i i saw some i saw fights the moment i got off the train between chelsea and liverpool fans at the fa cup final later in the year and it was just it's just miserable obviously when you lose and, and obviously having to make that journey back but it's just and and the, the loud sound of that pa system as well it's just you can't think you can't speak it was just i i saw chelsea fans fighting amongst themselves during one of the finals i mean it just just miserable miserable scenes the best part of Wembley for me and I may do this the next time I'm not going to buy a ticket I'm going to go with the people who've bought tickets some of my Chelsea match going mates we go to a pub um we have drinks that's brilliant um and then we get a, a train at Paddington it takes us to Wembley and then you have you sing in the train um and all of that stuff is brilliant going through the list of Chelsea songs and then of course you get off and then the worst part is you go and see the football for me next time maybe i'll just get off the train and then go on the tube back to uh wherever i need to go to you know just and just abandon ship effectively and just not see the football uh because that's probably be a, a more pleasurable experience uh but we don't know if chelsea are going to get back to wembley this year but that that's that's 2023 so we get into roman announcing that he's going to sell at the club um it is once again came on the eve of the fa cup game against luton massive massive moment uh where you kind of have to instantly be thrown into it and reflect on an error at Chelsea coming to an end and then what what comes next what is the the future of the club going to be like but then literally within a week we have the sanctions which 
even if it was for a brief period, uh, personally, and I know for, for several Chelsea fans, maybe you felt the same um, at, on that day, that Thursday and, and a couple of days after. It's not only the barrage of, of negative reports and people in certain media roles taking it as an opportunity to kind of let the, the barriers down and just go, we hate Chelsea. Um, and it was more towards the supporters and the people who work at Chelsea the worst one being, and I'm not going to name the person, but the worst one being, and I think this this triggered all Chelsea fans very rightly, and there was nice unity of in condemnation of it, was, you know, the only thing good about Chelsea is Thomas Tuchel. Um, I think it was kind of a mask slip by some people, uh, that kind of feeling that, you know, there are people who, who are paid to write about Chelsea, who don't love, they don't have to love Chelsea, you know, being an objective journalist, you know, it's, it's I don't want propaganda. Is it? It's not, it's not the point. Um, I don't understand why people enjoy doing the job while they do it. If they if they absolutely despise the club they're reporting on and say as much in an openly sort of way, and um, the covering of the Newcastle game was just so bizarre to me, mainly because I just think it was a complete elimination of like journalistic sort of and, and standards, effectively, where it was quite abundantly clear the narrative was set before a ball was kicked, and then the match reports that came out after the game barely mentioned the game I think in some cases people clearly writing knowing a bit about how match days work um, and, and covering games clearly a lot of it had been written before a ball was kicked and it didn't really matter what was done and then all of the media like applauded each other for doing so um, rather than actually covering the game in front of them which all right, was a forgettable game, and but did create one of the best moments as a fan inside Stanford Bridge in 2022, which was Kai Havertz's late goal with a Cesc Fabregas-esque pass from Jorginho and uh, Tuckle running onto the pitch, one of the best pictures of the year. And uh, that was a great day because I think there was, there was this real sense of unity between Chelsea supporters of, all right, it's going to be mental. We may have seen the best years of Chelsea. Who knows what comes next? But, you know, we're going to rally behind the club. We love the club. We're Chelsea supporters. We're proud we're Chelsea supporters. And we're going to be inside Stamford Bridge and we're going to support the team. And, of course, a late winner always helps that that mood and, and seeing Tuchel so passionate and seeing what Tuchel was doing in the media and, and seeing those performances. You know, I think that was arguably one of the best periods of the year because um, the players, I think, responded well. We beat Lille in the Champions League to get to the quarterfinal. We beat Middlesbrough to get to the FA Cup semi-final again. Uh, we were winning games consistently in the Premier League. Kai Havertz was, was suddenly looking like a good striker for Chelsea. Um, and, yeah, there was a sense of optimism that despite the upheaval and this turmoil and we've gone from the chain well the announcement of a sale to the sanctions and what does sanctions mean is the club whole sort of future in jeopardy now then into um this bidding process which is just was just so energy sapping for people i think working on the working on this at the time uh and personally just like the amount of names we went through, we had one of the well, one of the people connected to one of the bids posting their address on Twitter and then having to delete it. Uh, we had the protest against the Ricketts family, a name that's probably forgotten now, but the Ricketts family became kind of a dominant name. Um, and then Todd Bowley um, and his consortium becoming the favourites. And I wrote a piece in March um, about I I'd sort of come to the conclusion that I felt he was the best choice. Uh, got criticism at the time, got accused that I was being paid to do so. Unfortunately, I wasn't. Um, I'm still, there, there are so many times during this <laughs> doing this role that you're accused now of being paid by people, whether it's Mason Mounts, PR people. Um, the one thing I can be accused of is, and I'd, I'd give some weight to it and probably like it, even though it's not true, is uh, Diego Costa's PR people. But that, that 
once again none of it's true um and you know wrote that piece and and uh, danny finkelstein who um of course is, is part of the consortium was, was very nice about the piece and you know just the the thing i liked about bowley from the off was was actually being able to hear interviews from him and how calm and composed he was and, and seeing just and reading so much about the progress that had been made at the la dodgers and and what had been done there and, and the philosophies of bringing in expertise and you know valuing young players that youth development and, and trying to you know win and and create that culture and you know these are all kind of simple things that i think every sports club wants to do uh, but i just felt out of the options in what was a congested limited period where chelsea had to be sold to someone um, because that that license was expiring on the 31st of may that's why to me bowley was was the right guy but then it all started to go wrong on the pitch didn't it for chelsea uh you know we got battered by brentford uh, that was a fun day i was at least one of the things you know i think the best goal of the year it, it, it goes between kovacic doesn't it against uh liverpool right at the start or rudiger i'd say rudiger because i was there for rudiger's goal um and i was glad that i i saw the long range goal go in probably the only one he's going to do in his career uh, at least i was there but then it you know created chaos and we lost 4-1 but then there was the almost miracle in Madrid. What an extraordinary game that was to watch and seeing Chelsea do that in the Bernabeu. Speaking to people who were there personally, how incredible an experience that was, even if it was heartbreaking. And it, you know, it kind of summarized the best of Thomas Tuchel as a head coach. It really did. You know, there weren't many of those moments on the pitch, you know, tactically where you felt this guy is is one of the elite coaches. And, and in tournament football, he just has this knack to create a plan that few can rival he just knows how to put you know putting Ruben Loftus-Cheek in a right wing back role um, and you know the way Reese James individually Vinicius Jr who was one of the best if not the best attacker in the, in the competition that year um, was just remarkable it really was and Chelsea you know Luka Modric you know passed from the heavens and Karim Benzema seeing his performance at Stamford Bridge in the first leg one of the best striker performances I've seen in years um, you know it, it is what it is you face Real Madrid they won the competition Chelsea have done similar with, with a lot of chaos you've just got to take your hat off but that was a was a memorable night in itself but then there was so much attention off the pitch that I think a lot of us just wanted the season to end uh, there were some really disappointing performances and results the one at Old Trafford somehow not being able to beat one of the worst Man United teams ever. That curse just continues, even as we know into this season so far. Uh, losing to Everton, which I was happy for Frank, but it was another bruising day at Goodison Park where we just forget how to play football. Um, somehow conspiring to drop a 2-0 lead to Wolves, who could barely score weeks before that. It just went on and on. And then um, the season ended and it was just about into this mental summer. Again, it was just why i'm going to come to the conclusion about this year is that i think a lot of us are just exhausted by it is, is you go through this i'm nearly 20 minutes in and you go from one mental period to the next over and over again and i think anytime you you try to ground yourself whether it was you know after the takeover process okay we've got these new owners let's see what happens there, there is a sense of excitement of something new we're going into the summer window it's interesting who are chelsea going to sign who are we going to sell uh what's the pre-season going to look like how are chelsea going to look you know heading into the new year it's or the new season i should say all of these things it was just there was so much upheaval and so much change that just in contained into 12 months it's understandable why people feel a little bit disconnected at the moment from chelsea um you know that, that june particularly i've just been writing the piece on june for football london uh marina goes 
monumental figure in Chelsea's recent history behind the scenes. She goes out the door, pet a check to uh, Bruce Buckley. all right. I know not the most favoured person, but you know, still someone who's been very much a, a face of Chelsea in the past 20 years. Um, he goes and then Bowley becomes interim sporting director. We bid for Rafinha. That um, looks like it's going to be done. Is taken away from us. We bid for Jules Kunde. That looks like it's going to be done after almost a year. Where it looks like inevitable. He's going to become a Chelsea player. That doesn't happen. Both of them are going to Barcelona. That became a theme of the summer. Um, but we signed Raheem Sterling. In my opinion, one of the best Premier League attackers over the last six or seven years. That's a big signing. Seeing him in front of the palm trees in LA was was a really cool photo to to see. But then I was out in Orlando to see that performance against Arsenal, uh, where really alarm bells started ringing for me. And it, it, you know, it's it's easy to say in hindsight then what happened with Tuchel in the in the opening seven games of the season, but it was just so bad. I mean, I'd personally that was a massive week. Personally, that was a massive week in my life. I travelled out solo to Orlando uh, for a holiday. You know, big thing personally. I'd had a great week, and then uh, my good friend Adam Newson had kind of warned me before the game because he'd been out in America reporting on the tour too and and kind of warned me that stuff wasn't going well um, and there were frustrations and then you see the performance against an Arsenal side who would go on to have this incredible start to the year and it kind of foreshadowed I think both clubs season to come effectively um, even though we haven't you know finished it yet Um, and yeah I mean it's with the toggle thing you know I spoke a lot about it on my channel and, and people still think and accuse me of, of being happy that Tuchel was sacked or I was anti-Tuchel I wanted wanted it to be sacked please find a tweet a video a podcast where I ever called for Thomas Tuchel to be sacked you can't find it because it doesn't exist um, because that's just not what I do I didn't do it with Frank I didn't do it with Sarri um, I think when I was much younger I wanted AVB to be sacked but that's the only time in my life supporting Chelsea I wanted a manager to be sacked most of the time I want them to be given more time my big frustration was watching the team and how uninspiring they were in those first few weeks of the season um, how this guy took all who'd come in with such charisma and such energy in 2021 and had dragged this team with his tactical nails but also his man management and unified this team to do something remarkable in Chelsea history in the space of four months how all of that energy just seemed to go away and you know it's, it's, it's that classic thing of of you know the things that maybe you like to bite him at the start start to grate against you you know his his antics of shouting at players on the touchline started to annoy me a little bit more um the uninspiring football um the the lack of risk in Chelsea's play the predictability of watching us and it just it felt like an inevitable thing that we would have reached the end point sometime in in this season and that's that's the shame of it 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 was still a massive shock you know I'm not going to deny that me and my dad were watching that Zagreb game which turned out to be his final one and maybe you felt the same and maybe it's just the Chelsea fan within us of kind of expecting managers to be sacked and when things go wrong that's your that's your natural instinct that's your kind of go-to explanation or kind of theory oh he's going to be sacked because well, this is what Chelsea do. Things are going wrong. There's going to be a change in the dugout. But I have to say, watching that Zagreb game, it did feel like an end game point. Um, it did feel like watching the end of a, a coach's time or close to it because there was it, the sense that nothing was going right. Uh, the body language of the players was so bad. It was not 
And this is the weird thing about Tuchel that makes, again, this year so crazy. The explanation behind his dismissal is not actually related to results. It's it's related to communication. It's related to a shared vision. It's related to a breakdown between ideas, between an ownership and a head coach. And that may just be a nice PR line from Todd Bowling and, and the new owners. Uh, but I do believe that's the case. Um, and it was it was a divisive call. I you know it, it's a bit like when Jose was sacked for the first time. I think it had the similar impact that morning of, of seeing it and thinking, holy, you know what? Um, I was drinking my morning coffee. I'd actually just written a piece, almost in a thousand word piece, as I was getting onto my shift for Football London about what Tuchel needed to do to to get Chelsea back to form. And obviously, almost a thousand word piece will never be seen and read. It had to be discarded uh, instantly, and then. Again, whiplash, you have to then think about a new head coach. Um, and very quickly, it became clear it was going to be Graham Potter. Um, Potter comes in, but then we have the death of the Queen, which then delays his first game uh, to the following week against uh, Salzburg. Um, and this is where we get into the final period of the year and kind of the reflection on it and, and, and kind of, I think, the way the mood is now. The mood got worse by the end absolutely by the performances and the results in November but I have to say that the mood already was bad and it was I think it was a combination of what had happened in the first seven games the combination of you know people being very frustrated that Tuchel and upset that Tuchel had been uh, dismissed so early and kind of suddenly a, a feeling of of jeopardy or just you know uncertainty of, of why have we just sacked this coach there was a lot of criticism and raised raise eyebrows still about Tuchel being sacked and the level of coach Chelsea had at their disposal and why would you let that go uh, to bring in someone who CV wise would have never got the job under the previous ownership unless there was a transfer ban but then I think he needed to be a club legend to get the, the role as well um, all of that stuff rolled in and then you see a performance against Salzburg that felt very similar to things we'd seen so consistently over the last three or four years. You know, Chelsea have a lot of the ball. We should be winning the game comfortably, but we end up drawing it somehow and we still miss big chances. Um, and there was, you know, frustration. And, and I remember after that night, people were already writing off the squad. And I do wonder, I look back to Tuchel's first game against Wolves where there was no fans inside the ground. And I do wonder whether Tuchel would have suffered the same fate um, it's easy for fans to turn around who like Tuchel and like Lampard and say, and obviously like Lampard, but you know, to say that wouldn't have been the case. But there were there was frustration around Lampard being sacked, and I think Tuchel very much benefited. Listen, he still did extraordinary work, but he benefited from the fact that he did not have to face that frustration. And in the Wolves game was still a bad game. I mean, it was just unbelievably dull his first game in charge, but there was no. You, the, during that weird period of lockdown there was no way to gauge the mood of the fan base the only way you had was was social media or talking to your mates that was it you know there was no pulse you have that now inside the ground which I always prefer even if it's positive or negative I think that is what football needs obviously fans inside the ground but you know it it almost instantly puts Graham Potter on the back foot but you know he, he starts to win games uh <sighs> It's it's weird to me because the the honeymoon period, as we call it, with new head coaches, which usually happens with Chelsea, obviously doesn't happen for that long with Graham Potter. But you know, I almost felt, and I don't know if this is just like the stuff I'm seeing, or maybe this is just unfair. I I I got the sense that because people were still so scarred by Tuchel leaving, 
it was almost like all of those wins that we did get legitimately under Graham Potter in those first few weeks um, were just being dismissed. And the moment we started, the, the results turned and the performances turned, it was all just dismissed again. It was like, well, yeah, we're crap and, you know, everything's terrible and, and sort of the nihilism set in. Uh, Reese James goes down injured, almost feels identical to the Ben Chilwell situation a year earlier then Ben Chilwell also gets injured and then we have those really bad results and performances against Arsenal is, is one of the most depressing games I've been to in some time uh, the, the, the unfortunate thing about Chelsea is there's been a few of those in recent years uh, the, the battering at Brighton I still think is kind of like a footballing receipt from the gods you know you take your head, their head coach you take their left back you take their, their coaching team and then eventually you take their recruitment uh, guru so I think we were kind of owed that one. Um, but that felt very much like, I remember writing after it, like that, that felt very much like the the Bournemouth collapse in 2019. Um, the defeat to Watford at Vicarage Road under Antonio Conte. There are many you could pick out where we've just been absolutely outplayed by a team that Chelsea, Brighton are a good team. They're not mucks. You know, they, they play some very good football and have some very good players. Um, but it just felt like another day where just too many of those days where everything goes wrong for Chelsea and we're just absolutely battered and there's just no response. And I think that's the shame of it when we wrap up 2022 is that so much stuff has happened. Um, I think people feel lost about Chelsea at the moment. I, I had When I had my conversation on the podcast with Adam Newson, we spoke about the kind of my sort of theory that Chelsea, Chelsea fans are kind of becoming a little bit like Star Wars fans and, and you know without going so you know to sort of copy what I said back then I feel like Chelsea fans some may be a little bit lost at the moment because the Roman Abramovich era ended so abruptly um, and people had to come to terms with that very very quickly and the takeover process was not the usual elongated like two or three year thing like we've seen with Newcastle and you know it was such a unique public thing as well where we got to vet positively or negatively and then see who could buy Chelsea and there was obviously the ticking clock of the sanctions as well so there was always going to be an end period and it made things so intense and whilst all of that's going on you've still got things going on um, on the pitch two heartbreaking defeats uh, on penalties to a massive rival you know all these things mixed up you know when I've listed them as I have in several articles and, and the fanzine piece I've done for the end of the year wrapping up things even like one or two of them in a year is probably enough to have all of it to have the change in ownership sanctions threatening you know the existence of the club a takeover a rush takeover that a mental summer where you have behind the scenes and on pitch change a change in head coach seven days into the new seven games sorry into the new uh, season and then we have injuries we have some really bad defeats and there's a dismal sense of mood around the club and then you have a, a, a FIFA World Cup at the end of the year in, in the winter we've only got one game left of 2022 and that is against Bournemouth on the 27th of December uh, just after Christmas and I think my hope for that game is obviously a good performance, a good win. Um, I, I am going to that game and there is a bit of fear for me because, you know, just just gauging again the mood on social media, which isn't always the smartest thing, is that I really hope that people turn up to that game and aren't at the players' throats already. You know, if you do anything wrong, we're going to berate you. And I think that's the problem um, at the moment with the mood. Now, that is not just 
I'm not blaming fans for being upset about losing. I'm not blaming fans for being upset of seeing some dismal performances. That is, we're all upset about Chelsea not doing work. It ruins our weekends. It's not, it's not pleasurable. There's no part of me, you know, again, this standards nonsense and people accepting mediocrity. Um, no one likes seeing those results and performances. Um, my conclusion is not just let's just sack the manager again and let's just keep doing what we've been doing under the previous ownership and just you know hope that the 2005 season returns because I you know I, I think that that's been the problem at Chelsea I think Chelsea have been running away from their reality for for almost half a decade now uh, since the last title win probably you could argue even longer actually uh, with the, the, the frequent ups and downs but that's not the conversation I think the conversation is about ending the year on, on the high and, and hopefully starting to build something new and, and and i think what graham potter desperately needs it is a massive win I, I don't think a massive win is is going to be gained against bournemouth i don't think that counts even if we were to batter them six nil i he needs to win one of the big games and and that, that's another thing as well you know the 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 i think that the confidence and morale around the players but also the the fans when you see the being so close to beating spurs and all the drama around that game, a late equaliser at Stamford Bridge, and it's being so close to beat Man United and a late equaliser. These things, I think, do have obviously an impact on the mood and, and the confidence and just the feeling around the club. And the Chelsea Chelsea and Chelsea fans and just the club is not going to gain anything by just wallowing for the rest of the season and going, everything's crap, everything's awful. What are we going to do? Um, let's just be negative. Um, there is a, there's a give and take there, obviously, but I, I think that there needs to be something to to unify but as i said with jay recently and he said it brilliantly like he's done with the chaos and i agree with him i there is a lot of joking and kind of like we'll put it on t-shirts chaos and trophies and, and say it and all that stuff i but i agree with him i i like a quieter settled year because i, I don't want to repeat of 2022 and that's the shame of it there isn't much joy had in 2022 by the chaos um it was just chaos 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 there was a trophy at the beginning of the year which of course we're we're delighted with but um I think Chelsea need to find their identity and I think Chelsea need to find a sense of unity again and and hopefully that will be found sooner rather than later. That is my my thoughts on, on 2022. As I say, I'm, I'm recording this on the 19th. We've still got Christmas to come, but we, we get into this period of the year where stuff becomes mental. Obviously, we spend time with family and we lose track of time for a week. So I thought it best to record this now on the 19th when I when I have time to do it and can maybe say it, uh, say it sober before I start drinking all my German pills now over, over the festive period which I'm very excited to do um, and yeah so I, I'd like to hear your thoughts you can get in contact with me at Son of Chelsea on Twitter I'm also on TikTok I, I recently set up a TikTok where I'm posting clips on my YouTube channel but also some other content too so if, if you want to go over there and, and check it out that'd be very much uh, appreciated to go and give it a follow uh, Instagram at Son of Chelsea at Son of Chelsea YT but I'd say follow at son of chelsea that's, that's the main instagram account uh, i'm trying to think of all the shout outs i've i think that's it other than if you are listening obviously on the podcast because i think i'm only going to be putting this out as, a, as an audio um thing because I've, I've mainly just been looking at the mic for the whole time but um hopefully you have enjoyed it please give us a rate and review son of chelsea is a part of the 19 min podcast network probably should have said that at the start but you know son of chelsea is a part of the 19 min podcast network uh, that has been personally one of the cool things of, of this year is is linking up the guys at 90 min uh harry simu a lot of thanks for for him and, and just the guys over there being so welcoming and going on some of their shows which hopefully i'll be doing a lot more in 2023 and hopefully you guys enjoy listening to the podcast i wish you 
a very Merry Christmas. I probably will do again on my content before I will be making videos before Christmas Eve at least. Uh, but you know, thank you so much for your support this year. It really is humbling. I enjoy doing this. I love Chelsea. And uh, hopefully we can be speaking about more positive things and, and wins and, and, and great goals and um, shenanigans, good shenanigans in uh, 2023. All the best. Mm -hmm.